This is Competition Law with Professor Karon Beaton Wells exploring the challenges in competition policy, law, and enforcement. This series looks at the impact of those challenges in a digital economy and on society overall, whether you're a citizen, consumer, or competitor. In this episode, Karon speaks with Dr. Jorge Padilla, head of Compass Lexicon Europe, about the incursion of big tech into banking. Uh, so the first thing I would say is that the entry of big tech platforms has to be welcomed. So we shouldn't overreact and prevent them from entering these markets because we are dissatisfied with the state of competition and something has to change. And an increase in rivalry and increasing competition has to be good. The second thing is, okay, how do we make sure that the benefits are not only benefits in the short term, but there are longer term benefits and that we don't put at risk the financial stability of the systems. Here's Karan Beaton Wells. We seem to have fallen out of love with our banks, no more so than in Australia, after the highly damaging revelations of a banking royal commission. And yet, even with the greater choice and service offered by fintech, and now the possibility of porting our data, the powerful kingpins of the financial intermediation system look, well, far from phased. Could competition be coming in another form, though? Are big tech about to get into banking in a big way? This is a prospect that has captured the imagination of my guest on today's episode, Dr. Jorge Padilla, a highly respected and sought-after economist in the antitrust field. Jorge explains why... In the short term, big tech banking might be good news for consumers, but also why we might temper our enthusiasm about a gaffer-led shake-up of this all-important sector. We started our conversation with Jorge's rather sobering reflection on the state of the global banking industry 10 years on from the GFC. The banking industry 10 years after the crisis still exhibits many of the problems that it showed during the years before the crisis. On the one hand, you have weak competition, especially at the retail level, both in terms of terms that are offered to depositors, terms and conditions that are applied to borrowers, especially when we're talking about consumers or small firms. You can see that there is uh, little competition and that the terms that are offered are not that competitive. And many people complain about the level of cost of financial intermediation. At the same time, and despite all those rents, it doesn't seem that banks are healthier than they were. They don't seem to have managed to transform those uh, rents into the capital that could provide prudential regulators comfort that the industry is sustainable. And that is largely because lack of competition has led them to operate rather inefficiently and to spend resources in business lines that were not that profitable. So in a sense, we are where we were in a bad state in which we have not that much competition. Still, we have banks exposed and prudential regulators are worried. And all this despite the fact that we have seen an increase in concentration, which in principle could explain lack of competition, but should have led in principle, or at least in theory, to healthier banks and a less exposed banking system from a systemic risk perspective. And to what extent would you say that concentration increase 
is in fact a product of the regulatory response to the global financial crisis? In many places, it is. I think that especially in a number of European countries, including my own, the central bank considered that one way to deal with the crisis and to resolve the problems of the number of banks that were exposed during the 28 or 2012 crisis was to merge them in the hope that increasing the scale and reducing competition would generate the rents that would allow these banks to accumulate the capital buffers that would ensure their viability. But as I said, concentration has increased. Some consumers are paying more than they used to, or they are receiving terms and conditions that were less favorable than they did in the past. And yet, those banks don't seem to have been able to place themselves in a viable position for the long term. What surprises me is why the substantial developments in technology and data innovation particularly haven't seen more by way of disruption of the banks. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that it depends on which line of business we focus on. So banks have been challenged in some lines of business because they now have to compete with other forms of raising funds, of managing capital. But where they have retained a significant advantage thus far is in their retail operations, dealings with consumers, with households, with small and medium enterprises. And the reason why they have been able to retain that advantage, despite the not only financial innovations, also technological innovations that you were referring to, is because they have an informational advantage vis-a-vis their potential or actual competitors. They know those consumers, they know their clients, uh, they know their borrowers, they know the SMEs that they have to lend to, they know their credit history, they know what are the financial positions, they know how much they save, how much they are able to generate over time. And that informational advantage provides them with a competitive advantage that cannot be easily matched by anyone else that allows them to deal with other selection problems and moral hazard problems that others without that information would face. And yet we have seen some spectacular successes in the retail banking segment by fintech startups, if we think about Square offering card services to micro merchants and, of course, PayPal, which is now the granddaddy, I guess, of fintech startups. Aside from the informational advantage, are there other reasons why you would say fintech hasn't caused the major shake-up of the system that perhaps is sorely needed? Well, fintechs clearly enjoy some advantages in terms of lack of regulation compared to the traditional banks. And they also have taken advantage of technological innovations to provide products that traditional banks were not offering. Now, the issue is that those advantages are relatively easy to replicate, and some traditional banks are moving into that space. They're improving their digital offerings in a way that they have been able to offset the initial advantages that those fintechs obtain. And the other problem traditional fintechs face is one of scale. They can uh, reach out to certain types of consumers that are relatively sophisticated from a technological perspective. They are also keen to 
move to new things and explore new opportunities. But the bulk of the customers of traditional banks in the retail operations are traditional consumers, perhaps not that sophisticated technologically, and focus mainly on the safety of their money, and therefore clients that pay particular attention to the relationship that they have uh, with their banks. Fintechs find it difficult to scale up, and then also they find it difficult to retain what they have achieved when uh, traditional banks move into their spaces and adopt the same technological innovations and launch the very same sort of products that they have been launching in the past. There have been some serious attempts in recent years to spur more competition amongst the traditional banks, and perhaps the most notable development has been open banking, which I think is mandated in now more than 22 countries. Would you say that open banking does hold significant potential for driving competition in these areas where it's so badly needed? I think so. If, as I mentioned before, the main source of competitive advantage of traditional banks is their informational advantage, then you can see that that information advantage represents barriers to entry into the market. And therefore, any initiative that seeks to level the playing field informationally is going to be an initiative that fosters entry and leads to more competition. And that's why initiatives such as open banking or in the context of the European Union, the payment system directive and what that implies in terms of information sharing should lead to more competition in the retail markets. To what extent that would materialize? Well, it depends on the sort of information that is exchanged, on the extent to which banks comply with their obligations to share information. That remains to be seen. Now, in your recent paper on big tech banking, you foreshadow a conceivably much more significant shakeup of the banking sector than we've seen to date. And it takes the form of entry into the retail segment by the large tech firms. Now, we've already seen quite a bit of this happening in China. Tell us what's been going on there. So in China, what we have seen is that companies like Alibaba or Tencent, and perhaps most importantly, Alibaba, have managed to penetrate the retail banking segments big time. I think that the amount of money and financial, which is the financial arm of Alibaba, may be larger than the sum of the funds managed by the top four banks in China. So they have managed to attract lots of attention. They have managed to attract lots of business that you would expect would be handled by traditional banks to the point that they have acquired almost a systemic role in the banking system in China. And outside China, have there been moves of any note by any of the major platforms into this space? We are seeing those moves today. And you may have heard about the launch of Apple's credit card in collaboration with Goldman Sachs. That's not a unique move. We know that a number of the big tech platforms like Google, Facebook and others are obtaining banking licenses in Europe, as well as Amazon. And so they are slowly penetrating the retail operations of banks within Europe and in the US. The move is much slower than that observed in China for reasons that we can discuss. Is it in part those reasons relating to more limited regulation in China? That is one of the reasons. The regulatory framework has been more friendly 
for the platforms in China. There is another important reason, which is that the extent to which the Chinese economy was depending on traditional banks was much more limited than what we observe in Europe or in the U.S. Their banks were younger. They enjoyed less advantages in terms of developed customer bases. They were far less sophisticated than those banks that operate in Europe and the U.S. I also believe that there are socio-demographic reasons in terms of customers of banks in Europe and the U.S. uh, have been doing business with their banks for long periods of time. They have developed relationships within those banks, and they have developed a relationship of trust. The banking brands carry value in Europe and the U.S., whereas The banks in China were relatively novel. Uh, They didn't have those long-term relationships, and they didn't uh, carry the same uh, value. And I think that all those uh, reasons explain the the differential uh, between China and and the rest of the world um, in terms of the penetration of big tech uh, companies into banking. But notwithstanding the strength of attachment that banking consumers might have to their traditional providers in other parts of the world, you still do say that big tech or the mega platforms are likely to have some very significant advantages over the traditional incumbents in retail banking. In a nutshell, what are those advantages? The key is uh, information. And in particular, in banking, we distinguish between two types of information, hard information and soft information. Hard information concerns credit history, default history, and so on. Soft information has to do with the individual characteristics of borrowers or depositors, understanding what is that they want, what are their preferences, what is that they use that they make with the money that they may borrow, what is the behavior, what is the level of income, and so on and so forth. And traditional banks have enjoyed a significant advantage relative to soft information. And that was one of the reasons why fintechs found it difficult to compete with them beyond their initial successes and scale up their business because of lack of soft information. Now, if there is something that big tech platforms have, that is soft information. And they do also, of course, have the highly sophisticated analytical tools, AI and algorithms needed to process and interpret that information to anticipate our needs as banking customers, you would say? Absolutely. Data is valuable only to the extent that you can process it. And one of the big advantages of the big tech platforms is that they have developed the algorithms that allow you to interpret that data and use it in a predictive way to anticipate consumer needs and therefore to be able to offer products and services at the right time. And I think that it is important to keep in mind that not only these big tech platforms have that data processing advantage today, but that they are likely to maintain it over time because they are able, and they do, invest significant amounts of money into developing those algorithms. Banks will find that much more difficult because the amounts of money that they invest in developing those capabilities are subtracted from their capital. And remember that they are subject to capital regulations to the extent that software and hardware investments don't count in terms of the capital that is used for those capital regulation purposes. 
then they're at a disadvantage on the investment front as well. Surely there's another factor at play here that might make the time ripe for big tech to seriously take on the banks, and that would relate to what we see in some places as a decline in trust by consumers of their banks. We've just seen the big four in Australia have a spectacular fall from grace following revelations of misconduct through a banking royal commission. Do you see that as a factor at play in any other parts of the world? Definitely, it's it's the experience where I see it here in Spain and in Europe. I think that the banks have uh, lost lots of their reputational capital. And I think that there is also another reason why their branding advantage or reputational advantage is likely to weaken over time. And that has to do with changes in demographic conditions. Many of their traditional customers are stopping doing business. They are retiring. At most, they manage their limited savings. The new generations have grown using the big tech platforms and have developed close relationships with the big tech platforms to the extent that those platforms manage to retain the trust of the new generations, then the future plays to their advantage. Although, mind you, Facebook's trust bank is not necessarily all that well endowed at the moment. How would the major platforms actually compete in banking? What sort of roles would they play? Well, the first thing is that they would perform banking functions, but they are unlikely to become banks or regulated banks in the sense that they are unlikely to get into the deposit business. They are not going to get into deposits because that would bring along with it all sorts of regulations and would limit their ability to do all sorts of things. Big tech platforms will have an interest to operate in the consumer lending space, but also lending to SMEs providing trade credit, funding the acquisition of products and services, that's where they would get in. And that is a particularly significant threat for traditional banks, because it is in those lines of business which are most profitable. I think that banks today tend to get a return on equity of around 7 8% with a cost of capital, by the way, of about 9%, so not a great business. But if you focus on the consumer lending parts of their business, the return on capital is about 20%. So those are the parts of the business of banks that are most profitable. Those are the parts of the business that are more exposed to the competitive advantage of the big tech platforms. And that's where I would expect that they would focus on. That's what, in practice, it seems that they're focusing on. So can you see them actually offering services by bundling their existing offerings, be they e-commerce or online advertising, with traditional banking products? They may do that. They may do other things. I think that one of the possible scenarios, especially nowadays with digital assistance, is that when a consumer wakes up in the morning and thinks that it needs to buy something that is relatively expensive and is going to need some financing, For example, if you want to buy a beautiful ring for your wife because it's your anniversary, you approach your digital assistant, ask the digital assistant to look for a shop where you can buy the sort of ring that you want given the budget that you are looking for. And that digital assistant not only suggests which shop you should be buying from, but also uh, helps you organize an auction 
with a number of banks, let's say seven, eight banks. That platform communicates to those banks all the information that it has about you, including potentially financial information that has obtained through open banking APIs, etc. And those banks are going to have to bid aggressively in order to give you the loan. In that context, what the platform is doing is simply acting as a matchmaker. In other business models, like we have seen with Apple Credit Card, they would take a much more active role and they will be direct providers of banking services. So relative to the status quo that banks enjoy now, in the scenario that you've just set out, banks will be competing with each other, in effect, an auction to get the business of the loan originated through Alexa or Siri or whoever it is? I think that that's a very likely future. That what happens as a result of the entry of big tech platforms into this business is that traditional banks become commoditized. They don't originate and distribute credit loans. They simply fund those loans. To the extent that they become mere funders, then they're no longer differentiated. They don't have any advantage vis-a-vis customers, and they will have to compete very aggressively for that business, which is at the moment the business of origination and distribution, which is at the moment the most profitable line of business for them. And so the platforms would become the gatekeeper in banking, just like they're a gatekeeper increasingly in so many other sectors. Of course, there's a lot of talk about that role of the platforms in media and news. Surely this is all good news for banking consumers, though. In the short and medium term, definitely. It's more choice, more opportunity, and banks will have to compete more aggressively. So I think that in the short term, all that is beneficial. The concerns, to the extent that one could have concerns about this, is about the long term, is about also financial stability. We have seen that when origination and distribution in the past have been decoupled from funding, we have had uh, serious problems of financial stability in this. But long term, let's just talk about the competition implications. I assume your concerns about potentially down the track there being at least dominance, if not monopolization by some of the platforms, are connected with the points you've made about their vast accumulation of data, as well as their economies of scope in that data. Is that right? That's correct. And I think that it is very good that you focus on economies of scope, because the data advantage does not have much to do with the fact that they have sheer amounts of data collected over time. That that advantage has to do with the fact that they may have information that is relevant at a particular point in time about a consumer and that consumer's needs. And the data is valuable because it's available now and because you can combine data from different sources to create super profiles that provide you with the right information about the needs of a consumer at a particular point in time in a particular location. And a bank's never going to get that kind of parity in data with, let's say, Google. It would have to get into the markets for online advertising, mobile operating systems, browsers, email, and so on, which it's just never going to do, or at least one can't realistically foresee that. So what are the defensive strategies, if any, for banks facing these kinds of potentially existential threats? It's, it's going to be hard for them. I mean, to some extent, they will need to decide whether they compete 
head-to-head with the big tech platforms in terms of the origination and distribution of credit to consumers and the small and medium enterprises, or they collaborate with them. And so that would be the first strategic decision. We are seeing both models at the moment, banks that try to develop their digital capabilities to compete head-to-head and others that are trying to find cooperative solutions. So that's the first decision, collaboration versus competition. If they're going to compete, they're going to need to level the playing field in terms of data. And the question is whether regulators or competition authorities would be prepared to help them in that regard by imposing data sharing obligations or limiting the ability of the big tech platforms to enjoy those economies of scope that you were referring to. But even in that case, it would be complicated for the banks because as you mentioned before, it's not just a question of having data, but also having the ability to process that data and that would require massive investments. So if I had to predict, I would suggest that the future is likely to be one of collaboration as opposed to competition. And that would limit some of the advantages of the entry of big tech platforms for consumers and borrowers more generally. What about a third possibility? And that is subject to antitrust, of course, the banks collaborating with each other to create a super open platform in which they share data with each other in order to rival that held by the platforms. Is that a conceivable possibility? I think that this is a possibility that some people entertain. To what extent banks, traditional banks, can collaborate with each other to bridge the gap. It is difficult for a number of reasons. First, because they would, without the help of the regulators and antitrust authorities, be able to bridge the informational gap just by sharing information among themselves. Secondly, because there would be all sorts of difficulties in terms of dealing with potential free riding and other informational problems that may prevent the right level of investment in terms of the ability to process all that data. And thirdly, because meanwhile, the way to reach out to final consumers, potential lenders that the big tech platforms offer is going to be very attractive. And all banks are going to be interested in keeping good relations with the platforms, try to reach out to consumers through the distribution channels that those big tech platforms provide. And therefore, I would expect that any collaboration between banks is going to be somewhat fragile. Yeah. And surely there'd be, outside of the collaborative context in that matchmaking scenario you posited, there'd be a real asymmetry of bargaining power there for the banks vis-a-vis the platforms on which they would be dependent. And they'd be quite vulnerable to discrimination at the behest of the platforms, wouldn't they? I think that that is likely to be one of the main concerns of the traditional banks. But most importantly, I think it should be one of our concerns as societies. Find that due to technological advantage and that advantages big platforms manage to play an intermediation role that actually enhances competition. But we want that competition to be fair. We want that competition to be level. And the problem that potentially we may face is that borrowers, consumers are not offered the best lending terms, are offered access to banks that are providing worse terms and conditions, but that are financially related 
to the platforms. And that is a concern that we have seen in other areas of business of these platforms, the concern of self-referencing, which we cannot rule out here. And it's a concern that in the past we had also with traditional banks, and that is why we introduced some regulations to make sure that they respected their fiduciary duties and they provided their customers with the best services and the best products and not just with those products that were more profitable to them. Well, we're going to talk a bit about the regulatory environment and whether, as you say in your article, the regulatory pendulum might have swung too far away from favouring the banks. But before we do that, you did mention before that you thought these developments might actually also threaten financial stability. Can you develop that point for us? Yes, I think that the concern is that these new operators are not going to become traditional banks, are not going to be regulated. What they will do, in a sense, is to cream scheme uh, the business of banks that is providing highest returns. And that means that we are going to have banks that take deposits but they're funding projects that they don't originate and therefore that they don't screen and control in the same way as if those projects were originated by them. Big tech platforms are likely to be incentive to originate and distribute too many loans, even loans which may be doubtful from the viewpoint of their credit worthiness. They are going to be interested in doing this because the business model will be to obtain fees associated with the origination of those loans. They are likely to be interested because they may use those loans or that activity to cross-subsidize other lines of business. In the case of e-commerce platforms, they may want to sell more. In the case of online advertising platforms, they may want to generate more advertising business by making sure that their advertisers not only put forward their products to customers, but also have the ability to convert those ads more easily because there is funding provided. And I think that for all those reasons, you may find that these platforms are willing to support lending to customers and firms that don't deserve that lending, that they are too risky. That is what happened in the past when, in the context of the subprime crisis, we saw that there was a separation of origination of mortgages, distribution of mortgages, and the ultimate funders. When that separation exists, the risk of moral hazard and other selection is much greater, and that may place traditional banks at a greater risk. And indeed, With that heightened risk of financial instability, one would imagine the knee-jerk reaction on the part of regulators is to clamp down with more prudential requirements on traditional banks, which would only further advantage their non-banking rivals who are not subject to the same regulation and so create a bit of a vicious circle, as you described in the paper. I mean, really, the regulatory environment here is going to be critical, isn't it? Talk to us a bit about the current regulatory environment that banks are in. We mentioned open banking, and of course, there's also the EU Payment Services Directive. What are the disadvantages and risks that this regulation poses for banks in a new competitive environment? 
Right. I think that traditional banks, especially the large ones, continue to enjoy one key advantage, and then they suffer many other disadvantages. The key advantage is the too-big-to-fail advantage to the extent that they are in the business of taking deposits and they represent a sizable size of the economy, then the public believes that regulators will support them no matter what. And that means that they can have access to funding at a cost that is lower than that of their competitors. That's the advantage that is built in in the current system and that favors traditional banks. All the other regulations militate against them. They are limited in their ability to invest because of capital requirements. They are limited in their ability to invest because investments in software and hardware don't count in terms of capital, and therefore they will be reluctant to engage in those investments. And in particular, their disadvantage nowadays in terms of the regulation that concerns information. Open Banking and PSD2, Payment System Directive 2, imposes an obligation on traditional banks to provide access to third parties to information that they have regarded as key and proprietary for a long period of time. And is access that has to be provided in a timely fashion, developing APIs that are easy to access by third parties, provided that there is a customer consent. That will open up the information that they have enjoyed to third parties that would be, therefore, able to tailor services to those customers that provide information to them and combine that information about credit history, about the current account position, and so on and so forth, with all other information that they have. And that's asymmetric because the banks don't have the possibility to access the data that the big platforms enjoy. So, well, here's the trillion-dollar question for you then. What should be the regulatory responses if our regulators are going to be forward-looking about the sector? How should they be thinking about what can be done to ensure a level playing field for competition and protect financial instability? That is indeed a, not only a very good question, but a, but a difficult one. Uh, so the first thing I would say is that the entry of big tech platforms has to be welcome. So we shouldn't overreact and prevent them from entering these markets because we are dissatisfied with the state of competition and something has to change. And an increase in rivalry and increasing competition has to be good. The second thing is okay, how do we make sure that the benefits are not only benefits in the short term, but they are longer term benefits and that we don't put at risk the financial stability of the systems? And there the questions may be, should we level the informational playing field, giving access to banks, to the information that uh, big tech platforms possess and that is relevant for this business? That is one possibility. Some people are doubtful about that because they believe that banks won't have the ability to process the information. Some banks are, on the contrary, keenly pushing for that reform, for leveling the informational playing field. Others are in a more reactive position and want to see open banking and PSD2 phased out or revoked. So I think that that's one possibility. At this point in time, we don't know what the ultimate outcome should be or the regulation should be, 
But importantly, we need to start thinking about whether the big tech platforms have to be regarded as systemic players, as players whose behavior can put the financial system at risk, and see whether we need to introduce some regulations to their behavior. That concerns limitations in their ability to originate and distribute, imposing certain constraints so that we address the adverse selection and moral hazards that I mentioned before. And also think about whether not only activities in terms of the lending market, but also the offerings in the data space need to be regulated. And what I mean there is that big tech platforms interact with banks, not only in the ways that we have discussed thus far, but also increasingly host the data of the banks in their server farms. And I think that that is another matter of concern for banking regulators these days, that all that key data is being concentrated in the hands of a small number of platforms that are becoming or are entering the market as competitors of their customers. Certainly, one can't quibble with the basic proposition that if platforms do increasingly get into consumer lending and other retail segments of banking, there is going to be a significant asymmetric regulatory issue. And indeed, as I mentioned before, we've seen similar debates going on in the news and media sector. But just in terms of this mandated data sharing proposal of yours, surely you would say that that would have to be conditional on customer consent. And if indeed that is the case, don't we have a problem with the fact that the the consent model is really a fairly insipid one in terms of engaging and empowering customers? Really, customer use of that mechanism is fairly limited, isn't it? I agree with you that individuals acting as individuals don't seem to be taking advantage of the ability to port data that is being provided by some privacy regulations in the world in the way that we would expect. And I think that a number of people are considering whether we should create institutions that help consumers to take advantage of the possibilities that existing and forthcoming privacy regulations can provide them. Yes. What about some good old antitrust intervention? Before we pull the regulatory trigger, surely there must be a place for some robust and hopefully effective intervention by antitrust enforcers to deal with competition risks? As you can see from my paper, I'm somewhat skeptical about the role of antitrust here. I think that for a number of reasons. Most importantly, because I believe that the developments that we've been discussing are going to happen quickly and are going to materialize in very few years. And antitrust intervention takes time. And it takes time for good reasons, because when we look at some behavior, it can have pro-competitive and anti-competitive effects. And we don't want to chill investment. We don't want to chill innovation. And when intervention finally takes place and when it leads to a decision, it's typically way too late. It's difficult to restore the market to the conditions of competition that would have existed in the counterfactual. And that's why I believe in uh, regulation here as opposed to in antitrust exposed intervention. But thinking just about structures and merger control specifically, there are tools available to antitrust enforcers to 
halt or injunct mergers fairly quickly. Surely, if one of the mega platforms was setting out to acquire a major bank, one would hope and expect that antitrust would intervene and do so rapidly. I agree. And I think that to the extent that merger control is a form of ex-ante intervention, I think that that would operate well. I hope that when those things happen, maybe not through acquisitions, because I don't think that big tech platforms want to become banks, but through some form of collaboration agreements, joint ventures, etc. I hope that at that point in time, the antitrust authorities deliver, focus and understand the issues at stake and take a more forward-looking perspective that they have taken with past mergers in these areas of business. Gee, there's lots of food for thought there. And as you say, no easy answers. I might end by asking a question that I know some of my listeners are no doubt keen to have answered. And that is, what about if we just do nothing and let market forces take their course? Let the invisible hand weave its magic. What about that? Why not? I don't think that that is the right approach. And let me tell you, I think that one of the reasons why banking markets, despite being liberalized and operate with a uh, lot of freedom over the years, have not delivered good outcomes to consumers is because banks enjoyed significant informational advantages that prevented competition from happening. And we intervene in a regulatory way to limit those informational advantages. That's open banking. That's PSD2. We intervene because we realize that the invisible hand doesn't work well when there are informational asymmetries. Now we see entry by a new group of players that have or enjoy other informational advantages. It would be naive to think that this time unregulated free competition is going to deliver what it couldn't deliver in the past. I think that we need to address those new informational advantages, and we need to do so if we want to maintain healthy competition. And as you say, we need to intervene not only to ensure that competition will flourish as a result of these developments, but also, as is always salient in this sector, to look after financial safety so that we don't end up seeing the next global financial crisis being one spawned by the big tech platforms rather than the traditional banks. I fully agree. I think that competition is valuable, increases consumer welfare, and we need to do whatever is necessary to encourage competition. But at the same time, we need to care about financial stability because if we face another financial meltdown, another credit crunch, the implications in terms of economic growth and in terms of consumer welfare are of first order, perhaps of much more significance than marginal increases in competition in the short term. Don't know about you, but I'm not rushing out to get my Amazon credit card anytime soon. It does seem that the big tech banking foray presents the same dilemma posed by many of the developments in digital markets. That is, how to embrace the benefits of competition and innovation in the short term while being vigilant as to the risks of concentration in the longer term. Next on Competition Law, we're joined by Philip Marsden, marathoner, rower, oh, and also Professor of Law and Economics at the College of Europe 
Senior Director at the UK Competition and Markets Authority, Deputy Chair of the Bank of England Enforcement Committee, Senior Advisor at Charles Rivers Associates, and much more. Until then, you can find links to Jorge's paper on big tech banking in the show notes and other resources and links at competitionlaw.com. Competition Law was produced by writtenandrecorded.com and I'm Karan Beaton-Wells. Mm-hmm.